I wish. I wish I could see my dad. I wish my family could be together for Christmas. I wish I had a dolly, a new dress, a soccer ball. I wish I could have my mom. I wish my dad could play catch with me. 2.7 million children have a simple wish this Christmas. To feel special. To feel remembered. To feel loved by a parent who's far away. You can help. It starts with a gift. A simple present from their parent reminding them they are loved and not forgotten. And the gift of knowing the love and support of their Heavenly Father. This calls for believers to take action. So while mothers and fathers are behind bars, kids are left behind, families torn apart. This calls for churches across America to rise up and deliver gifts to children on behalf of parents in prison. You and your church become the hands and feet of Jesus. You deliver God's love and bring hope to those who need it most. Families are restored. Children find joy. Parents experience God's grace. It starts with a gift. It starts with you. This Christmas, change the life of a child forever. Well, welcome to this session with Grace Point Church as we continue to meet virtually as we get together. And I'm thankful you're here watching this and I'm thankful uh, for your prayers as we continue on. Also welcome to our guests with us uh, here today. Thank you for being with us here. Uh, well, we're into Thanksgiving week, uh, probably my favorite holiday of the whole year and a great time of getting together with friends and family. Although this year, especially in our context, uh, we aren't going to be meeting with family and uh, just our household. And so for Don and I, it's just the two of us, and, uh, but we're planning on enjoying the day and enjoying some uh, turkey and other dressings and things that make up a Thanksgiving meal. And so I hope and pray that uh, your holiday is a good holiday. And uh, obviously, as a national holiday, it's supposed to be a time of gratitude and thankfulness. And in the current times of our life right now, it is a bit difficult to find that attitude of gratitude, as one writer put it. I was thinking about a story I read one time about two friends uh, were passing by one another on the street one day. And one appeared so sad and depressed and on the verge of tears. And his friend who came up to him and said, what's the matter with you? You look as though the world has just forsaken you. And the sad guy, the depressed fellow said, let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. Well, that's not bad, said the first man. But you see, continued the other, two weeks ago, a cousin I never met died and left me $85,000. Sounds like you should be grateful, the friends said. Well, you don't understand, he interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away and I inherited a quarter of a million dollars. Now, the first friend was really confused and he, and he inquired, how come you look so depressed? How come you're so sad? And the other guy said, this week, he lamented, nothing, nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, there's an issue where we're all lacking in some thankfulness and gratitude. Henry Ward Beecher 
said that pride slays thanksgiving, but a humble mind, uh, excuse me, but a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks naturally grows. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. And of course, we live in a society that's based around getting more and more and a lack of thanksgiving. Uh, just a historical footnote to this national holiday. Uh, thanksgiving in America really didn't begin with the pilgrims at Plymouth Colony in 1621, as we're uh, perhaps under the impression that it was. Eleven years earlier than that, in Jamestown, Virginia, uh, severe winter weather had reduced the colony from 409 people to 60. Can you imagine that? 409 people were at the colony at Jamestown and only 60 survived that winter. The desperate survivors prayed earnestly to God for help, not knowing how or when it might come. But when a ship did arrive shortly thereafter from England with supplies, <clears throat> the colonists gathered to express and give thanks to God for the supply they'd received. You know, no feast marked that day, no turkey on the table. It was just a prayer meeting expressing gratitude to God. And so today, as we enter into this national holiday of Thanksgiving, of course, for the believer in Jesus Christ, uh, we should be people of gratitude and thankfulness every day of the year. We don't need a nationally declared holiday. And it's all about our attitude, isn't it? Thanksgiving is really an expression of humility. Have you thought of that? It's an expression of humility. It's a character quality as I've said, is in short supply in our society right now and in our culture and perhaps in your own life and in your family's life. Thanksgiving is the acknowledgement that we've, that we've been rescued by the living God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 asks, what do you have that you haven't received? Why do you boast as if you haven't received it? We often uh, applaud in this country, in the West here, we often applaud the self-made person who pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps. We, uh, the, the reality is though, is there is no self-made people. Uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 100 verse four, it is God who has made us, it is not we ourselves. And you may ask, uh, well, what gifts does God give us? And uh, suppose he decided to give you oxygen on one day, but not the next day. And then uh, on even days, sunlight, only on even days. How long would we last? How long would we survive? Gratitude is our expression on our dependencies on God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, really. And our gratitude quotient grows by applying the lens of scripture to our own situation, our own circumstances, and it gives us an undistorted view of the greatness, the goodness, and the graciousness of God. Uh, here we're gonna deviate out of uh, the, the, the letter to the Philippian church, and we're gonna turn back to the Psalms for this session. You're very familiar, I'm sure, with Psalm 100. It is called the Jubilate. Jubilate is Latin for, O oh joy. And it is a joyful psalm. It is a thanksgiving psalm. In fact, in the inscription in Psalm 100, if you take your copy of scripture and turn to Psalm 100, uh, the inscription, the ancient inscription, it says it's a psalm of thanksgiving. And what an appropriate place to land this week and to remind ourselves of the goodness, the greatness, and the graciousness of God himself. 
And it begins and ends with a great praise of who God is. Psalm 100 actually ends a series which began back in Psalm 93, and it's the crowning finish of these Thanksgiving Psalms. It invites us to expressions of joy and thanksgiving while affirming our place as belonging to the God of the universe. In the book of Philippians, if you've been with us in those sessions as we've begun that letter, you know that the Apostle Paul there, one of the main themes of Philippians is the expression of joy, how to live the Christian life and have joy even in the midst of adversity and difficulties as we are even experiencing it now. Let me read through this psalm, or I will read through this psalm. Uh, psalm 100, if you take your copy of scripture and follow along, I'll read through it first and then we will unpack it. We will see what uh, God has for us here today. This psalm, uh, of course, it's Hebrew poetry. The psalms are poetry, oftentimes set to music. And in this psalm, and because it's a poetic psalm, it uh, has an, an invitation and then a reason why the invitation is given. In verses 1 and 2 is the invitation. Verse 3 is the rationale or the reason. In verse 4 is another invitation. And verse 5 is the rationale or the reason given for that. And so there's a symmetry here. There is a poetic purpose here. Psalm 100, beginning in verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good and his loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Heavenly Father, thank you for this psalm today, an appropriate time in our year, in our lives, uh, that we too can be people who have great joy and great thanks in our lives to you and because of you. And we thank you that this expression of joy and thanksgiving really does affirm our place in your plan, the God of the universe, and belonging to you and your great character. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. First, we see this invitation in verses one and two. Really, it's the characteristics of a joy-filled life. Things that are marking our lives, which demonstrate to others that there's joy in our lives. And first of all, in verse one, joy is marked by testimony. We're going to see three things in each one of these segments throughout this psalm. Uh, uh, there are four groups of three, and the first one is, is these three characteristics of joy-filled life. In verse one, a joy-filled life is actually one that is full of testimony. He says, shout joyfully, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. And so there's this invitation uh, to have verbal testimony of what God has done and is doing and what he will do in your life. There's verbal witness to that. And it's a call to all of the earth. It's not just a call to Israel. It's not just a call to certain people, but it's everybody everywhere is called to shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. 
It really has a missionary purpose here, if you will. The point is, of course, is the psalm is meant for the whole world and all people receive this invitation. Uh, we talk about God's revelation and, and, and the three forms of revelation. God has revealed himself through his creation. He's revealed himself through the word of God and he's revealed himself to the son of God who came in human flesh. And so that has a missionary purpose to make a joyful noise, this, this sound, this shout, if you will, that uh, God, uh, who is uh, so great and good to us with gladness to come into his presence with singing there. So the first thing is, is there is a verbal testimony, a missionary purpose. Uh, so we see that. And then secondly, joy is marked by service. The first mark or characteristic is verbal witness or testimony. The second one and found in the first part of verse two is service. He says, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness, serve the Lord with gladness. This aspect of being ser a servant or one who allows God to work in and through us to touch other people's lives. And oftentimes we think of serving the Lord as happening in a church building on a Sunday morning. Yes, that's part of it. Uh, but there's much more to it than that. We are called to uh, be in communication with one another, to pray for one another. Some of the 51 one another's we see in the New Testament are how we relate to one another. And then also how we relate to people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But it's meant for the whole world and being in his presence and to come before him. So we have Testimony, service in the first part of verse 2, and the second part of verse 2 is worship. Look at the second part. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful singing. Notice these are all invitations for us that our joy is marked by testimony, service, and worship. Uh, the word where it tells us to come before him with joyful singing is the fact that uh, we can enter his presence Remember in Old Testament Israel, they had to go through the priest who went into the Holy of Holies and, and communicated with God. But as believers in the New Testament, in the church age, we are believer priests and we have that privilege. We don't have to go through another human being to talk to God. We can pray and talk to him and worship him right where we are. So that idea of shout joyfully, serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful singing. These are marks and characteristics of the joyful life. That is the invitation here. And then in verse three, we have the rationale or the reason. The psalmist gives us three reasons for the joy-filled life. Why would we want to do that is the question. Why would I want to shout joyfully, serve with gladness, come before him with joyful singing? In verse three, he tells us, know, know that the Lord himself is God. So there's this force of a command here that we are to know, we are to remember what he's done for us, look in scripture and know also that God is God and we are not. <clears throat> That's the first reason for joy in the Christian life and a joy-filled life. We know by experience that the Lord himself is God. Uh, Many people are searching for meaning in their lives. One philosopher said to fill that God-filled vacuum in our souls. And the aspect is, is how do we get to know God? Well, one of the things is what is our desire? What is our knowledge about God? That he is God and we're not. Uh, the aspect that, you know, there is an oxygen of God that we should desire, that we need. 
I don't know if any of you have had a near drowning experience. When I was about 19, I had a near drowning experience in a lake in Montana. And I still remember it, how the surface seemed so far away and it was so dark and I was running out of oxygen. And what did I strive for more than anything else at that moment? I needed a breath of fresh air. I needed a breath of oxygen. That's the only thing that mattered at that moment. And when we want to find and know God, as much as we want oxygen of a drowning man, uh, then we will find and know God. When we have that desire that is in us, God is God and we're not. The second reason for a joy-filled life is that God is our creator. Look at verse 3, the second stanza there. He, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. There's no such thing as the self-made man, as I said before. He, <clears throat> there was a British humorist who was talking about self-made men, and he said he is a self-made man who worships his creator. <laughs> and that is kind of what happens when we start thinking we are the ones who are in all and for all. Uh, so Jesus Christ is not only our, uh, he knows us and we're, we're not God, but uh, he cares for us. He is our creator. And thirdly, the reason for a joy-filled life is God is our redeemer. We are his creatures. Look at the end of verse three. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so we are redeemed. Uh, remember that Greek term. There's a Greek term that Jesus said on the cross when he was hanging on the cross. It is finished. It means paid in full. And I was thinking about that, thinking that this Greek, this Greek term that Jesus used meant that our sins are paid for. That Jesus Christ has opened up the way for us to have salvation. We are the people, the sheep of his pasture, when we think of that. And David, in Psalm 23, tells us that we are sheep of his pasture. Ownership is a good thing here. We belong, security in being his people. Provision for the needs of the sheep by the good shepherd. It always tickles me when uh, one Christian will call another Christian a sheep, especially in this day and age. It is ironic when I think I'm glad to be a sheep in the pasture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my good shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, and even on beyond that, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who has a hired hand is not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them. And then John says in verses 14 through 16, he repeats Jesus's word. Jesus is talking here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. What about security that we have? It is a wonderful truth. Even as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep for which are not of this fold. I must bring them in so they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with the shepherd. Of course, he's talking about Gentiles there. He came to the flock of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior, and God has made us and remade us. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in his sheepfold. You are secure. You know his voice and he knows you. You know, there is <clears throat> an important point to this verse that says we are his. Look at that. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his. There's that so important truth. Those three words. We are his. Regardless of what happens to you in your life, we are still his. 
Troubles and adversity inevitably come in life as we are experiencing right now, but no matter what, we are his. Sickness may come, the pandemic may come even more strongly, but we are his. We may lose our jobs and our income, but we are his. Even if death should take an immediate family member, we are still his. We will always be his. God the Father has said in Hebrews 13, 5, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Likewise, Jesus said, Surely I am with you always in Matthew 28, 20. The Apostle Paul, as we saw when our study, in our study of Philippians, said that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, uh, 38 and 39. So three marks of this joy-filled life, three characteristics, and analyze your own life. Do I exhibit these characteristics of joy? Do I testify? Do I have verbal witness of Jesus Christ to others? Am I in service? And that can take all sorts of forms of just uh, letting people know that you're there for them and worship. Do I worship? Do I remember what Jesus Christ has done for thee, for us? And the three reasons for joy is God is God. What a joyful thing. And we're not. Uh, we certainly are limited in all of our understanding, limited in our power, limited in what we control. But yet God is sovereign. He is God. He is our creator and redeemer. Next in <clears throat> verse four, there's another invitation. We've seen an invitation and the rationale in verses one, two and three. Now in verse four of Psalm 100, we see the characteristics of a thankful heart, the characteristics of a thankful heart. First of all, in the first part of verse four, he gives us access. He gives us access. Look at verse four. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Notice it's not our gates or our courts. It is his gates and his courts. In other words, his very presence. We have access to him anytime, any place. We can go and pray and we can talk to God. Even in the most darkness, dark of nights, God is there. In the second part of verse four, he is worthy of our gratitude. So a thankful heart remembers we have access to God. A thankful heart remembers that he is worthy. And it tells us in the second part of verse four, give thanks to him, give thanks to him. And he is worthy of our gratitude. Uh, Vance Havner, an old time uh, preacher from uh, another time, said our biggest problem in the church today is the vast majority of Sunday morning Christians who claim to have known the master's cure and return, to, and return at other times not to thank him uh, by presence, prayer and testimony and support. In fact, the whole Christian life is one big thank you. That's what Havner said. The Christian life is one big thank you. The living expression of our gratitude to God for his goodness, but we take him for granted. And whatever we take for granted, we never take seriously. Isn't that the truth? God gives us access. He is worthy of our gratitude. And first, last part of verse four, God delights in his children. It says, praise his name or bless his name. Bless his name. It's uh, the Hebrew word barak. And it means a praiser. It means to bless someone. And so we praise him. Praise should be visible. Uh, the psalmist said we are to enter his gates and his courts with praise. It isn't an act activity to be done 
just uh, by ourselves, but to gather together with our family members at this time, at this temporary time, we gather with whoever our family is at this point, and there shouldn't uh, be any uh, shame attached to the worship of God. In the Old Testament, uh, there's expressions of clapping, there's expressions of lifting our hands, even of dancing in 2 Samuel 6. Praise should be vocal and it should be volitional. So he says, bless his name. Uh, in the interesting uh, story about Bible translation that I've read is that uh, Bible translators, uh, in, when they were reaching the Maasai tri tribe in, in West Africa, uh, they had an unusual way of saying thank you. They literally said, my head is in the dirt. Uh, when the translators found out that that's how the Maasai's uh, tribe said thank you, is my head is in the dirt. And when a Maasai expresses thanks, they literally put their forehead down on the ground. They want to acknowledge gratitude with humility. Gratitude with humility. And another uh, story out of that same time period, another African tribe expresses thankfulness or gratitude by saying, I sit on the ground before you. Uh, when one of them wants to express gratitude to another, he sits in front of the hut of the person they want to thank and whom they want to wish gratitude towards and just sits there in humility for an extended length of time. And so gratitude is the antitoxin John Henry Jowett, a British preacher from another age, said this about gratitude or about thankfulness. He said, gratitude is like a vaccine, an antitoxin, and an antiseptic. What did he mean by that? Of course, we're, our ears really perk up when we hear the word vaccine. And there's been some good news just recently that perhaps we will have a vaccine soon to the pandemic, to the coronavirus. But uh, Jowett was saying that he meant that gratitude like a vaccine can prevent the invasion of a disgruntled and discouraged spirit. I think all of us are a bit discouraged at this moment, at this time in our history. And we need to recognize that we can be thankful for what we do have, what God is doing in our lives. And so like uh, he meant gratitude is like a vaccine. Secondly, it's like an antitoxin. Gratitude can prevent the effects of poisons, of cynicism, criticalness and grumbling. There's a lot of cynicism, criticalness, and grumbling going on in our day and age, isn't there? And yet, if we're thankful, we can't be those things. If we're truly thankful to God, you cannot mix thankfulness with cynicism, criticalness, and grumbling. And then finally, Jowett said it's like an antiseptic. A spirit of gratitude can soothe and heal the most troubled spirit. So if you're troubled today, or critical, or cynical, or grumbling, uh, or discouraged or disgruntled, uh, try some thankfulness in your life. It is like a vaccine, an antitoxin, and an antiseptic. So three marks of a joy-filled life is testimony, service, and worship. Why would we do that? Because God is God. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. And three marks of a thankful heart is we have access to God. He is worthy of our gratitude. He delights in us. And in verse 5, we see this rationale or reason why we should have a thankful heart. Reasons for a thankful heart. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is good. God is good. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a message about the goodness of God, that God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And we're not talking <clears throat> about God's goodness as it is a, 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 
It is absolute. That's what we're talking about. God's goodness is absolutely, he is absolutely good and completely good. It is not uh, relative. You know, we talk about some people as being good people, but that's a relative term because we're measuring their goodness based upon how others are good or not good. And so it's a relative term when we use it in that form, but God is good and it's an absolute and complete goodness. No mistakes, no sin uh, ever cross God. And secondly, not only is God good, but God is loving. Look at the second part of verse five. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. That word loving kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. And that is almost an Old Testament equivalent of grace and merited favor. His loving kindness is everlasting. It never ends. And then he is also faithful. Look at the end of verse 5. And his faithfulness to all generations, to all generations. You know, finally, when we see these invitations to shout joyfully, serve the Lord, come before him with joyful singing, enter his gates with thanksgiving, give thanks to him, bless his name. The reasons why are because we need to know that he is God. He has made us. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. We are the sheep of his pasture. And because he is good, his loving kindness is everlasting and he is faithful to all generations. You know, a spirit of thankfulness will help us overcome some of the sins of good standing that too often invade our lives. Complaining, idolatry, pride, ingratitude. You know, it was when our first parents, Adam and Eve, became unthankful that the human race became this, began this terrible descent into sin and judgment. And Romans chapter 1 describes that. Instead of being thankful for what they had, Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie and that God was holding out on them. And this led to their sin. A thankful spirit is a triumphal spirit, even in difficult times. Lloyd John Ogilvie, uh, in commenting on this psalm, said the psalm makes a strong case for gladness as a sure sign that we are living by grace and not our efforts. We are reminded that God is in charge, that we belong to him and his mercy is everlasting. The best gift we can give to others is to recapture the goodness of the Lord for us. That will overflow into a joyous attitude and countenance that will inspire and encourage people around us. Isaac Watts wrote a hymn based on this psalm, and uh, it begins by saying these words, Wide as the world is thy command, Vast as eternity thy love, firm as a rock thy truth shall stand when rolling years shall cease to move. And that is the focus this Thanksgiving season as we enter the holiday of Thanksgiving, the national holiday, is that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are reminded that we have a great Savior and we have reasons to be thankful. We have reasons to be joyful, even in the midst of what we consider to be very difficult adversities. Let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, this holiday season, this Thanksgiving, if we have to be away from our families, our loved ones, even from our home for some perhaps, if we are frail in body or spirit, if there's an empty place in our hearts, if we even had nothing to eat and we would still give thanks for your love in Jesus Christ because no person or problems can take your love away. 
We thank you that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life and it's promised to us. We have the security and the assurance of everlasting life. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have your presence with us always. And we have access to you, dear Heavenly Father, through prayer and the recognition that you will never leave us or forsake us. Amen and amen. Well, I pray that your holiday is a blessing, that you would have eyes to see his blessings and that you would eyes, have eyes to see uh, the things to be thankful for in this holiday season. God bless and go with him.